TuneIn is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. That clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. And even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here. On TuneIn, go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only twenty-five dollars a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile, get four iPhone 15s on us, and four lines for twenty-five bucks per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Welcome to Nothing Impossible on St. Louis's News Radio, KMOX. Welcome in. Michael and Travis with you on our weekly conversation about St. Louis innovation technology and just new ways of looking at and thinking about things. Let's really emphasize the new ways of looking at and thinking about things. I think all too often we we look at innovation as uh, some sort of tool or technology or game or app that we can't for just quality of life and enjoyment. Uh, but there's a lot of innovation that happens behind the scenes that gives us more information that we maybe didn't have before. And on this show, Big data is going to be a big theme, I guess you could say. We're going to start off by talking about a heartbreaking event that uh, has been, well, one event that catalyzed, I think, a lot of attention on a very important issue in the city of St. Louis. We're going to touch on the seven-year-old who was killed on North 14th Street on Monday uh, and some ways that data journalism can help us to get a grasp on to understand these big human issues that we face in the city of St. Louis. And then we're going to talk about NGA. And uh, talk about big data, right? Mm-hmm. They're they're using big data, f- maybe for spying purposes. Who knows? Uh, but with NGA coming to town in the next you know few years, uh, there's going to be more big data jobs available. Uh, but I, I like the fact that we're framing this whole show around big data this week. Yeah, and then there's a maybe not a big data point, more of an obscure data point that we're interested in for the uh, final segment of the show. The big news about Bungie moving their headquarters to St. Louis. Kind of curious. When was the last time a Fortune 500 sized company said we're going to pick up stakes and just Move world headquarters to St. Louis. Well, of course, Bungie already has a significant presence in mm-hmm. the in the region. But for them to move their headquarters from New York uh, to St. Louis, Missouri, that's a good feather in our cap. Absolutely. But let's begin by talking again about data and journalism and how it can help us understand what's happening in the world around us. Yes, we have uh, Janelle O'Day from the Post Dispatch. Uh, I've had a chance to get to to know Janelle over the last few years as she's been doing a lot of stories uh, related to redlining and the tipping point series they've done as it, re- uh, as it uh, pertains to the housing situation. Uh, but Janelle, you recently wrote a piece about uh, looking at data and, unfo- and the unfortunate data st- and statistics of children killed as a result of violence. Thanks for joining us. Uh, yeah, thanks so much for having me. I'm happy to be here to talk about this really important topic. So tell us a little bit about the article you just re- recently wrote. Um, I mean, that's not ex- that can't be fun data to go through. I mean, that's a it's a tough thing, but it, it it is telling a very important story for the region. Yeah. Um, so you know, we uh, the the St. Louis Post Dispatch. I arrived two years ago, but they've been compiling homicide maps since 2014, um, and we noticed this year that we were getting a lot of reports of children getting killed, um, mostly by gunfire, and so. 
Uh, I'm the data reporter there at the paper, and so I took it upon myself to go back through those maps and um, pull out how many of those deaths were children. Um, and so far, fr- since 2014, uh through August 12th of this year, um, it was 140 kids not killed just by gunfire, but by child abuse and other ways that they died at the hands of other people. Um, and I think that that number just really brings depth to a conversation um, and to a fact that we all already know, which is too many children are dying in St. Louis at the hands of other people, especially from gun violence. So I just did some quick math. That's about 25 uh, every year that are being killed. That is more than two a month children that are perishing. And, you know, as um, I I went on a a bit of a rant yesterday on Twitter because we're always getting excited about the MLS announcement next week or the Bungie announcement that we'll talk about um, or STL made in the excitement of branding. But none of that is going to bring these kids lives back. Uh, Tell us a little bit about what you discovered as you were looking through this data. Yeah, um, I mean, we kept asking ourselves what the common thread was between all of these stories, because uh, when we started to look at all of it and looking at doing a story this week, we wanted to just go to the families and anybody that we could find who knew these children that could talk to us about them and tell us about their lives um, and who they were. So we we kept asking what the common theme was, um, you know, and there really wasn't one that jumped out except that there was this common theme of gun violence. We all already knew that. And it's easy, I think, when people see an event, we see a mass shooting and you, you're just aghast at the, at the number um, you know, that takes place in, in one moment there. But we wouldn't realize the extent of the the situation with children in the city of St. Louis if it weren't for compiling this data. I mean, talk about, I guess, maybe a little bit of a, a J-School kind of a class. Where do you go to get this data? Maybe a little bit of background. How did you guys decide that this was something, um, you know, with your resources you wanted to pour into compiling and crunching this data? Yeah, sure. Um Uh, Again, it started before I got to the paper, you know, with uh, people who had the job before me and my editor, um, who's no longer there, but she had this idea, you know, we all knew that uh, homicide was a trend that we kept seeing in St. Louis. And so we decided we wanted to start tracking it. And also we track homicides because we don't know of anyone else who tracks it across the metro area and gives these victims a name and a place and some space you know after their lives are lost so do you go to the police department and ask for statistics on this do you uh comb through the reporting that your own reporters have done going to the scene and making phone calls on this in the moment as as these incidents happen talking with families i mean uh, i guess a little bit through the process of putting this uh, all together sure yeah um So we have, I guess you would say, a few sources of data. The main one is our reporting. Yes. So stories that we write, that's where I get the the bulk of the data. Um, And those reporters who write those stories, our crime desk, um, they get the information from police departments. And then also we make requests, periodic requests to the medical examiner. Sometimes the police will not... um, do a press release for a homicide and that's not necessarily a bad thing you know they they sometimes just get so caught up in all the work that they have to do that you know we will miss it they will miss it um so we'll, we'll ask the medical examiner for it um and so using all those data sources that we can and we also use um, the belleville news democrat or any other um, tv reporting any other reporting that we see in the area of a homicide that they've reported that we haven't um, we'll use that for the map as well so Really, any way that we can get information about these victims, um, we try to. What I've been impressed with, um, and maybe I just have not been aware of data journalism in the past, but uh, 
you know the the sort the work you've done on redlining or the tipping point, uh, or now this work on the uh, the children lost uh, due to violent crime. Uh, it 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 is taking some numbers and putting human faces to them and also identifying trends that, Michael, as you said, uh, if there's a mass shooting, we see it all at once. But, you know, if we look at these 140 kids, this is a long drawn out mass issue, right? Uh, what what kind of uh, trends do you identify or is that part of the data journalism as well? Is it telling the story of the moment or the past or is it also making some uh, predictions or identifying what these trends mean on a, in a bigger picture? Yeah, um, I think that's why we map things, right, is to see where the trends are occurring most um, in the area and then uh, to talk about why. And the stories that address why are not easy stories to do. They're not quick and concise. Uh, If you've read anything I've done on redlining, those stories are lengthy. Um, But, you know, our job as journalists is to get the information, put it out there, and then we have identified those trends. We, you know, we have done the work for our officials for uh, City Hall, for the police. So they know where these things are happening the most. And they probably knew it before we published it, you know. Um, but that's why we do it is to put it out there and then leave it up to this community uh, to find solutions. What's been the reaction to specifically this project, uh, Mapping Children? Has it been I mean, from the police department, have they had any kind of response? Or I can imagine for these families, the attention on their loved one who's been lost is has got to be incredible, first of all. But then also realizing that you're shining attention on this greater epidemic, too. How do they feel about that? Yeah. Um, for the families, I think that talking to us can oftentimes serve as a sort of therapy you know, and if they haven't uh, been able to talk to a therapist or a counselor of any t- of any sort, which many of them haven't, especially when you're caught up in losing a family member, it's kind of the last thing you think about. Um, but when someone, some stranger uh, comes and knocks on your door, you know, that's an opportunity for you to talk about feelings and things that you've had kind of building up for a while. Um, and the fact that they will open up and talk to us is something that we are very grateful for. And I am honestly take seriously the responsibility of carrying that burden of telling those stories. They're, they're such important stories to tell. Um, and Janelle, you mentioned, um, you know, maybe some of the ways that the that our elected officials or civic leadership um, maybe is held accountable by these data being shared. Uh, there was an interesting, uh, again, inter- exchange over the weekend on Twitter or earlier later this week on Twitter uh, about the Citizen Service Bureau and, uh, you know, Requests coming in and the city not being responsive. Have you seen the city uh, be responsive again to either the redlining stories uh, or the story about uh, these children lost? Is is there a way that the the city can now be held accountable as a result of this this reporting? It's a great question. I think that time will tell. But uh, you know, to the redlining issue, um, we wrote the stories and there was already a lot of movement in St. Louis before I even ever got here uh, and wrote those stories to address that issue by, um, you know, the Equal Housing and Opportunity Council is a group especially that works on it. And they had been working on this project with the city to approve a greenlining fund, or that's sort of the um, name on the street for it. It's officially the Gatewood, Gateway Neighborhood Mortgage. Um, and so they had been working together to do that. And that product is now, they're still raising money for it, but um, it's got the official name and they are hoping to get done with fundraising by the end of this year and start making loans with it um, to address redlining. And the city has been very supportive of that. Mm. Um, as far as, you know, children's deaths, um, again, time will tell. It's like people ask me when we compile this data, what's the story? We've, re- you know, we've reported this before. We've seen these stories before. And to me, the story is, 
Yes, but it continues to happen. Mm-hmm. These numbers continue to climb. And and that is our question is, what are we going to do about it? To our city officials, to the police, to community members, people who live in neighborhoods where this is happening a lot, what what are we going to do? What do you need? What What needs to happen for this to stop? Well, for the news consumers, I mean, we see the individual stories day after day, but even for those in city government, assuming their motives are all, all pure and they're, you know, 100% focusing on what needs to be done, it's also still easy to fall into what is the problem in front of me at this moment? What is the issue at hand versus what's the broad theme here? What's the, is there, you know, a, something we can take a look at and see a trend? Or it's hard, especially, you know, when you don't have necessarily the knowledge on how to crunch that data. And so what other projects is the, is the Post-Dispatch working on? Or what, uh, what other examples of data journalism has the Post-Dispatch uh, gone into that you think are really impactful yeah sure so we have two interactives um which you can find at stltoday.com uh our school guide and our uh, salary guide and both of those will show you the school guide will show you um, test scores enrollment information teacher information everything you need to know contact information so you can go visit um, area schools the salary guide will show you what your mayor makes and what your mayor's staff people make but um, not what department they're paid out of but not correct? what department they're paid and out not of searchable either and right? not thank you for bringing that up <laughs> right. um the city of st louis this year would not give us the department field for their employees which i'm really still i still have never figured out why and it's um, just this year it's just this year they've done it before they've given it to us before so when you navigate to the city of st louis on our salary guide everyone will just appear in one big list you can't look at just the police department or just the parks department or just the mayor's office or anything like that really frustrating it looks really ugly which i don't like (laughs) as a data person i just hate that so um that's been really irritating for me this year i'm hoping next year that'll change you know uh, we'll, we will, again, open the door to have that conversation with the city next year and hope that it goes differently. Well, there have been examples of both on the state level, the governor's office and at the county executive's office of, you know, you mentioned you can't search by who's in the mayor's office, but where do those people get paid out of? Somebody in the county executive's office could be paid out of the Department of Revenue or somebody in the governor's office could get their paycheck from the Department of Natural Resources or something. So. It is important. All these data points are important to figure out the source of well, these and funds. Well, I, I really think as consumers now, we, we can call BS on data not being available because we all know it is available, right? And or data, for instance, with these crime rankings, how people right. often say Chicago uses different category names, so yeah. they don't count in the same rankings and stuff like that. You know, you got to be discerning about how you're you know, crunching this data. Well, and I think that's why it's so important that, uh, you know, papers like the Post-Dispatch uh, hire people like Janelle to, to this is their beat, right? This is your beat. Mm-hmm. Data is your beat. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, this is what I, I spend every day doing is working on projects that can make public data more easily accessible for people and allow them to use it to learn about their governments and to learn about their schools and, you know, the institutions that their tax money supports. Um, And, uh, you know, also doing stuff like what I did this week, counting, um, counting these children's deaths and using that uh, to assist our reporting. And that's my favorite part about my job is to um, find numbers and trends in community data. 
Well, Janelle O'Day, thank you so much for joining us. You can read about uh, the work that she does at stltoday.com. Uh, you can also follow her on Twitter uh, because she's always, that's like the first place. That's like where it breaks first and uh, you can check it out. Janelle, thanks for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. Coming up next, Robert Cardillo, former head of NGA, as we continue on Nothing Impossible. Welcome back to Nothing Impossible on St. Louis's News Radio, KMOX. All right, Michael had a chance to catch up with former NGA director Robert Cardillo. Let's take a listen to that interview. For somebody who's not familiar with the term geospatial, or maybe their their easiest gateway is thinking about the GPS in their car or Google Maps on their phone, how would you just describe what this sector is, what this technology is, and the different applications that could, could really change our lives? So I would make it simpler, and and by the way, we coined the term geospatial, so we you know we we're aware of its origin, but I think sometimes it's a little frightening to people, and and I would just say think about location. Um, everyone wants to know where they are; they want to know a reference frame for you know what's around them, and obviously, as you mentioned, when people want to move from one place to another, location information, uh, congestion, et cetera. It, it all comes down to that, that information around location. And the NGA, the National Geospatial Intelligence Agency, how does that interface with all of these companies that we're seeing move to St. Louis? Uh, what is NGA? What do they do? And why are we uh, talking about it so much? It's been in St. Louis for a while, but, but what about the timing now has prompted so much conversation? Yes, there is a great deal of history here, and I'll, and I'll speak to it at a high level. But first of all, I, I need to say that as a recently departed former federal official, I need to thank this region for the decades of return on investment that the nation's made. What I mean by that is that we've been in this city and in this region for a long time, uh, not always under that name, National Geospatial Intelligence. We used to be called the Imagery and Mapping Agency. Before that, we were the Defense Mapping Agency and the Army Map Service. And so, legacy of terms, but it all came back to the same rationale and reason for being, which is the heart of the mission. And that is helping the Department of Defense to safely navigate the planet. Uh, sounds simple, very complex. In order to do that, you need to know everything about the planet. You need to know everything about features on the planet. You need to know everything about the gravity and the and the uh, the, the the gravity fields that surround the planet because it affects navigation. Because the Department of Defense sometimes sails on top of the ocean and under the ocean, we have to know everything about both the surface and subsurface level. So I say, you know, safe navigation, but boy, it's, there's a lot of complicated information underneath that. Why are you hearing from us now? Uh, the world's changed. I'm not, I don't need to tell your audience that, but, but what I mean for that is, and I'll use my career as an example. So I joined this profession in 1983. When I went in the door, uh, sunlight did not follow me. It was a very closed world. It was highly classified. It was uniquely governmental. Fast forward 36 years. There's still uniquely government capabilities. We still have classified satellites and the like. But broadly speaking, the world, commercial, academia, think tanks, have lifted that locational game. Uh, I'll just give you one example. Many of your audience will be familiar with Uber. And they think of it as a ride-sharing, you know, uh, provision provisioning company. 
I think of it as a geospatial company. Uh, they make money. If you hit a button on your device and it knows exactly where you are, you hit a second button to tell the, the, the site where you want to go and it finds a third entity, somebody in a car, willing to move you from one place to the other in a time frame and at a cost you're willing to pay. And if Uber or Lyft or whoever it is does that in you know 0.25 microseconds or whatever it is, they make money. If you don't like the math that they did or come back with a price point that isn't conducive, you'll just move your finger to the next app, you'll put your thumb out and you know, hitch a ride, you'll start walking, you have choices. So the advent of those kinds of capabilities means that NGA has to now reach out to that kind of advance and thus this conversation we're having now. Yeah, you made that a big point about having to uh reach out to the private sector, share ideas. Why is St. Louis the best place for this hub to be established and to grow and for this exchange to take place? Some of it has to do with the history that I talked about earlier. You, the, the region has been invested in this, camp, uh, in, in this profession, uh, albeit in a quieter way, because that's how we did our jobs in those days. Uh, why I have so much optimism about the region now is one, St. Louis has raised its hand and said, we not only are proud of our history, but we're excited about our future and we're going to do something, okay, to uh, elevate the opportunity of that future. And here's what I see happening. I see institutions like St. Louis University uh, elevating their offerings to prepare the next generation to join the profession, whether they join NGA or Uber or, or you know, Booz Allen, it doesn't matter. And that's curriculum, and that's getting the right professors, and et cetera. Um, beyond that, uh, I spent part of my day yesterday at Cortex. Uh, what a shining example of when a region and a city and industry comes together and said, wow, there's, there's real opportunity in this tech innovation space. If we create uh, infrastructure, if we provide incentives, et cetera, and look at the payoff there. So I think St. Louis has got good history there. I think if you go back to the the, the Danforth uh, initiative some over 10 years ago on, on the agricultural side, St. Louis has also got a good history. So I think all of that comes together. I think St. Louis has seen the opportunity. I think one of the reasons, I don't think, I know one of the reasons why I selected the campus site uh, only a couple of miles from here is because I was a strong believer that that proximity is, is important to the agency. For NGA to go to Jefferson and Cass, big, 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 build big walls, put a bubble on top of it, put keep out signs out, doesn't do anything but hurt NGA. So part of the reason we moved that we're going to move to that location is to make sure we can take advantage of institutions like St. Louis University, uh, entities like Cortex, partnerships with Harris Stowe and WashU, etc. And more with Cardillo coming up right after this. Welcome back to Nothing Impossible on St. Louis's News Radio, KMOX. All right, we're going to continue the conversation Michael had with Robert Cardillo from formerly with the NGA, uh, talking about what St. Louis is going to look like if the NGA is the big deal it's set out to be. What does the partnership with uh, an academic institution like SLU look like, especially when you're dealing with you know potentially classified information or technologies? 
but then you're also looking to benefit from whatever's being developed in the private sector, new applications. What does a partnership look like uh, with a university like this, and what's your role with SLU going to be? So I think it looks like um, this. I think um, in a very short period of time, I would like to have NGA professionals who have a decade or two or three of experience of practicing that profession teaching here at St. Louis University as an adjunct professor. Now, that's not my call, but that's an idea that I know St. Louis University is thinking about. I'm well aware that NGA has got interest in that because from an NGA perspective, here's the upside. Two good things happen. One, you get the next generation better prepared to join the profession by that passing of knowledge and expertise from that practitioner. And two, getting my practitioner out of that classified wall and into the open world, when that interchange happens between, quote, professor and students, that individual, he or she, is going to come back to NGA more capable, more equipped, et cetera. So I think that's just a win-win. Um, you know, to your point about the classified side, yes, it exists, but more and more of NGA's mission uh, is in the open. Uh, when you get on a commercial airline, um, there's NGA material in the cockpit because we provide safe navigation there. That's all unclassified. Uh, same on cruise ships and same on, you know, small and, and large maritime vessels around the planet. So th the, the, the world is becoming more open while NGA will always protect its ability to do it quietly for certain circumstances, broadly speaking, we can have these conversations in the open now. We're seeing more companies uh, say that they're following the NGA's lead in this cluster to St. Louis. And are, are there enough employees, do you think, trained, skilled workers here to fill the jobs that NGA is going to be expanding and adding companies like, uh, whether they're already here like Esri or companies that are moving here. What do we do about workforce in St. Louis? Are we in a good position now or as part of what you're doing at SLU helping to build a, a pipeline of these skilled workers for these companies? I would say good, but I would also say don't relax. No coasting here. Um, I, I mean, if I put my former director hat on, I was very pleased with the talent that NGA was able to recruit. We've got a great intern program at NGA, bringing about 300 students uh, each summer. Highly competitive to get those positions. So it wasn't like it was hard to find that talent. Now, it's a different question about attracting talent to join the federal government. It's not always an easy lift. And by the way, then to stay with the federal government, we're... We're kind of a stodgy employer, so not for everyone. Um, so we have to work to keep that talent. But here, but I'm glad you brought up Esri or Boundless or or Launch Code. I mean, there's there's many places that you could join this profession and contribute. And I actually think my career is going to be less and less of an exemplar. Well, you joined at 21, you retired when you were 57, here's your gold, by the way, we don't get gold watches, but here's your gold certificate, and there's the door. Um, I think more often it's going to be, geez, I graduated from St. Louis University, I got my geospatial certificate, I did an internship at NGA, that was fun. But I want to help Lyft, you know, reinvent their app, you know, so I'm going to go work for Lyft. And so you do that for two or three years. Then you might say, geez, it's time for me to pay back. I want to go teach. Or let me go do a three or four year stint with the federal government, kind of a, a, a payback tour. And then come back out, start my own company or join a big one. So, again, I think the talent's there. I think 
we have to work to keep it there. That is to say, we've got to continue to do better. And then I think we need to maybe think differently about what a, quote, normal career path is. And I think it's going to be quite different in the future. Yeah, that reminds me of how Arch Grants attracts these companies to town. And even if they fail, the startup goes belly up. They consider it a success because they've brought this talented startup founder to St. Louis, who then usually goes on to start something else that might be successful. Yeah, I'm with you. I, I use the term ecosystem. Um, and in an ecosystem, you know, you will have new starts. Uh, you will have false starts, right? You will have dead ends that, that appear. But to your point, I always think that as long as we're advancing our understanding, as long as we're learning, and sometimes the learning is negative, while that didn't work or there was no business at the other end of that idea, as long as the ecosystem is there, you can take that experience and then apply it in a different way. So, quote, failed company A joins you know, failed experiment B, but the, the two come together and have successful experiment or company C. So uh, to me, that's why I use the term ecosystem. And, and, and I think St. Louis, again, is, has done a great job of beginning to build that. And we've got more work to do, um, but I'm highly optimistic about that outcome. There's some big, um, you know, for instance, Bayer with the Climate Corporation is already here. Um, but companies like Lyft and Uber, like you mentioned, how does St. Louis attract these, especially the consumer level companies that deal in the geospatial space? What do you think is the, the big selling point for this region to convince them to open an office here? Uh, I think there's some obvious ones. Um, you know, I live in Washington, D.C. Um, oh, l- let me just use my NGA example. So about half the NGA workforce is in Washington. About a quarter is in St. Louis and a quarter around the globe. Um, it's in my professional interest that, that people don't stay in one place for their whole career. We want them to grow and to learn and share ideas, etc. I will tell you, it is difficult to get teammates who happen to live here in St. Louis to move to Washington. Now, they might be excited about the job. You know, you know maybe it's a promotion or title or something like that. And they go, what, what, what does a house cost back there? Wait, this is my mortgage today? And so now reverse that, right? Um, you know, and there could be reasons why people, you know, can't, you know, move from one place to another for child care or elder care or whatnot. So there's other factors there. But I will tell you, the quality of life. Um, and uh, every year, NGA would do, we call them employee, employee engagement surveys, basically a job satisfaction survey that government would run. Um, quality of life scores were always better out here. There's less traffic, um, better living conditions in the sense of you can buy and afford more house, et cetera, et cetera. So I, I think that that kind of advantage exists now. And, and, you know, I think Jim McKelvey's move, you know, with Square, part of that is that, is, is that, you know, and again, I'm not expert here, but, you know, if you need to hire a, you know, high-end computer engineer in Silicon Valley, you have to price in the housing costs or you just won't be competitive. You could, I could, I could imagine you could get the same type quality engineer, but in St. Louis at a more affordable price point that could turn into more competitive business opportunity, um, more return on investment, et cetera. So I think, I think that quality of life, I also think too, there's a this is more of an intangible. There's a, we're in the middle of the country. It's a little 
well, I don't live here every day, so I'm getting out of my thing. It feels a little less crazy when I show up here, okay? People seem a little bit more even keeled. And I don't know how you measure that, but I think that's a selling point. You know, that, you know yeah, you can, you can be a big contributor to your profession, but you don't have to be on that, you know, that constant 100-mile-an-hour treadmill just to, just to keep up. I think St. Louis has got that added advantage of being a bit more civilized. And if you're traveling to D.C., I bet the airport is a selling point because you're not trying to wait through security at O'Hare or Midway or Reagan or any of these overcrowded airports, too. Oh, you're exactly right. Yeah, I, I build in less time on my return than I do on my fly out, that's for sure. <laughs> well, what do you see as the, this is an open-ended question, but what is the future, you think, of geospatial, whether it's you're envisioning an innovation district around the campus in North County, or you're envisioning something that's more, you know, uh, better futures for people here, more career opportunities, however you see it, what do you see as the future with geospatial established in St. Louis? Um, I'm going to start with bright. I mean, I, I think the future is very bright here. Um, underneath that overall vision, I do think there's kind of a physical part to the future. It has to do with the, you know, a, a campus is going to be built. A building is going to go up, right? And, and we're going to have uh, entities such as Cortex continue to develop and T-Rex will grow, et cetera. Um, the Globe Building will become redesigned as a you know a high tech uh, facility. I think that's all necessary, but not sufficient. What I mean by that is that on top of the physical infrastructure, I think the future needs to have this kind of vibrancy of teamwork and and partnership. Now, don't get me wrong. I get it that companies compete with one another and that, you know, there's reasons why a company A may not partner with company B because if they're going for the same market, that will continue to exist. What excites me about the future, though, is because of the commonality of those locational services, your first question about what is this geospatial thing, I think that tide is going to rise. I think, I think that commonality is going to rise. And especially as we move to 5G and the Internet of Things, where even more things are talking to each other from specific locations, I think the advantage is going to go to the entity or the partnerships or the community that can make sense out of what could be chaotic data. The phrase I used to use was coherence from chaos. In such a world, you could imagine being inundated with data. Oh my goodness, I'm getting all these beacons, all these feeds and whatnot, and it could be overwhelming. Could be. I think what St. Louis is setting up to be is to be kind of a place that has a frame of reference and a, and a kind of a mental and physical approach to that challenge, turn it into an opportunity. You move to coherence, you have an advantage. Coming up, Dick Fleming, former head of the regional chamber, talking about the Bungie announcement. Welcome back to Nothing Impossible on St. Louis's News Radio, KMOX. Welcome back, Michael and Travis, with you and some major news for the St. Louis region coming down that Bungie Limited, one of the biggest uh, food and agriculture products processors in the world, is moving its world headquarters to St. Louis. Fortune 500 has landed. Yeah, and we were wondering when was the last time, you know, we've had some, for instance, uh, Ralston Purina. Uh, grew Energizer and then spun that off into a large public company that became, you know, one of those flagships for St. Louis. But uh, was it TWA? Was it somebody else? When was the last time a huge company decided we're going to move the headquarters to St. Louis? Let's ask someone who might know. 
Dick Fleming is the former head of the Regional Chamber and Growth Association. At the time, it was called RCGA. Now it's just the Regional Chamber. Dick Fleming, thank you for joining us on KMOX. You're very welcome. And uh, now CEO of Community Development Ventures here in St. Louis. And I work with a lot of uh, of entrepreneurs and companies and uh, cities uh, around the country and here in St. Louis. So I, to answer your question, I think we get a little bit caught up in our own methodology sometimes when we uh, have this notion that economic development is about recruiting fortune headquarters uh, because the era of, of economic developers recruiting fortune headquarters is probably last uh, at its peak in the 1960s. Um, what economic development today is about is retaining and expanding what you have and growing uh, the entrepreneurial companies that, you know, Square and Twitter didn't exist uh, uh, however many uh, years ago, and yet they're, they're among the major players in, uh, in uh, the corporate world today. And uh, I think the the uh, the context for St. Louis is we the good news is we have some of both we have a we have a long pretty steady history of Fortune 1000 headquarters there are about anywhere from uh, 15 to 17 uh, Fortune 1000 headquarters the last time I looked at a national ranking uh, uh, New York had the largest uh, more than 70 followed by Chicago at 27. Uh, Dallas is third with 16, and we're tied with San Jose. Uh, so we're in pretty good shape on the headquarters side, but as Travis uh, knows from our work together here at CIC and Cortex, uh, we're, we're among the, the real comers in the, in the country in terms of the startup scene. Uh, I think uh, number one in the country in women entrepreneurs, uh, one of the fastest growing in startups, uh, best cities to locate, I think, number one for millennials as affordable. So I, I think our, our focus on, uh, on landing a massive headquarters moving from somewhere else uh, would be better placed on how we're growing the economy by uh, expanding the companies we have and, uh, and startups that are going to be the, the major employers in the future. Well, Dick, I, I do agree, and it does seem like uh, a number of these cities now are trying to grow their own, but we I'd be remiss to uh, not reflect on the lather that the region got into over Amazon HQ2 uh, just 18 to 24 months ago. Uh, so there are still those uh, those efforts to try to land a big fish, but it sounds like what you're saying is we need a lot more, uh, I guess we use the hockey analogy, shots on goal, right? A lot more of these right. uh, companies to grow. Yeah, Bungie is going from the, their previous uh, operating structure was a few people in a holding company headquarters, but then South America, Asia, Europe, and North America were essentially three kind of independent companies that worked on their own, and now what they're doing is going under a global operating structure, which means that uh, all these decisions in all these other areas will now go through St. Louis. But Dick, as we as we finish up, uh, you know, we love looking ahead at the future here on the show, but in terms of a history lesson, it's kind of fun to reflect over St. Louis over the years be a little nostalgic and so when you think back dick what is what is the last time we had a company like this that you can remember move to st louis as best i can tell it was in the 80s and it was gray bar i think it was gray bar but at your last point i, I completely agree with the uh, uh, the biobelt uh, hub that we have developed into over the past 20 years for plant life sciences it is 
fantastic to have that kind of global perspective headquartered here in uh, in Bungie, and it and it's one more piece of the bio belt. So uh, that's important in its own right. Well, Dick Fleming, thank you so much for joining us, and listeners, thank you for joining us as well. Michael, next week we'll talk about more of these new chapters happening in St. Louis. Stay tuned. The conversation continues here in St. Louis, and we'll pick it back up next week. Tune in is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively sports. The clock at four. Doncic. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. And even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening.